Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. It is my great pleasure to introduce to you our guest speaker for today, Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck. Reverend Paul is a rock star in the Unity movement, widely regarded as one of the leading authorities on metaphysics. For 10 years, he was Dean of Instruction for the Spiritual Education and Enrichment Program. Paul brings his joyful and passionate presence to his classes and presentations both nationally and internationally. He's the author of eight books, including Heart-Centered Metaphysics, A Deeper Look at Unity Teachings, which is the main text for the teaching of metaphysics by Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute. Paul challenges students with a lively and engaging style and an infectious enthusiasm. Paul makes an often difficult subject impossibly fun. Please join me in, in welcoming Reverend Dr. Paul Hasselbeck. Good morning, everyone from Kansas City, Missouri. Wow, I am so happy to be with you. And so let us start with an opening prayer. So I invite you to get comfortable wherever you are, just allowing yourself to be. I don't know about you, but I like to move around a little bit right before I get still. And then, of course, there's always those deep breaths, those deep centering breaths that have scientifically been proven to activate those hormones that get us into a calm, relaxed state. So let us begin. I now invite you to opening your heart and mind even more than it already is. As we center our awareness on the truth of our innate and inherent divinity. You are, I am, we are fully human and fully divine. And as we pray together this morning, we remember to synchronize our humanity with our divinity in a way so that we are supportive of each other, loving of each other, kind to each other, and we, of course, care for each other. Remember, as you go about today, everyone you see is fully divine and fully human. And remember to smile because we never know what the other person is going through. We are here to be the best we can be. And so it is. Amen.
And so, Unity of Fort Worth, once again, thank you for inviting me to be with you this morning. I want you to sit back and relax. And yes, get your cell phone out. Have it on silent, but you may want to take some pictures today. And as you're relaxing and sitting back like my little minion friend there, you might want to take a picture of this side. If you need to reach out to me or want to ask me questions or make comments, I'm available at alberthasselbeck at gmail.com. My website is paulhasselbeck.com, where I publish my absolute word on a weekly basis. And of course, I have my podcast that I do with the Reverend Doctors Bill and Cher Holton, which is metaphysicalromp2.com. And today, my topic is, what if we got it wrong? What if we got it wrong? And before I go anywhere, I want to share with you that whenever I'm in a tense moment with somebody else, I use this. I silently ask myself, what if I got it wrong? What if my facts are wrong? And what that does is open my heart and mind to be more present and yes, understanding. And so one of my gigs is questioning unquestioned answers. Often in spiritual practice, we are seeking answers and we get answers, we become aware of answers, we formulate answers. However, some of those answers may be from years ago and those answers always need to be questioned. And so in the 1500s, the common belief was of this geocentric model of the universe, or at least of our solar system. What that means is that Everything, the sun, the planets, re revolved around the earth. Something else that was popular at that time was that the earth was flat. So that's the geocentric model. Then along comes this guy, and he formulates the heliocentric model in 1543. This is where all the planets and the asteroids and the comets somehow circulate around the sun. And this was Nicholas Copernicus. We know him simply as Comper Copernicus. And he wrote the book on the revolution of the heavenly spheres. And before he could get in trouble, he died. And even though we're dating that heliocentric model to the 1500s, this guy in 200 BC had already said that. <laughs> and I'm sure he's still thinking, dang you all, I told you so, or something like that. So after Copernicus comes along Galileo, he also questioned the geocentric model, and I've often wondered if he actually read Copernicus's book. And he wrote a book in 1632 with a title, Dialogue Concerning Two Chief World Systems. And those two chief world systems were the geocentric model 
and the heliocentric model. Now, in 1632, this became a little bit well-known, and he got in trouble with the church. They said the heliocentrism was foolish, absurd, and heretical. And why? Well, you probably guessed it already, because it contradicted scripture. It contradicted the Bible. And so what do you think happened? Well, you probably thought it already. He went before the Roman Inquisition in 1633 and was found to be guilty. And Galileo was put into house arrest for 10 years. I think he died like at nine years. And I wonder if all of these things he's now known as the father of was because he was an, in house arrest. And look, at we all know from COVID what it's like to be kind of in house arrest for two years. Well, he was the father of observational astronomy, modern physics, the scientific method, and modern science. And why? Because he questioned unquestioned answers. And so what that set up was this religion versus science that has gone on and even today is still going on. However, in the last half of the 19th century, the 1850s on, modern science became online in a much stronger and deliberate way. There was also the Industrial Revolution, which was helped along by modern science. And in case you don't know it, it's also when new thought began to be formulated. So what does this mean? New thought questioned this science versus religion thing. And in fact, today, we still are not, unity is not in this oppositional relationship to science. And three of the flavors of new thought contain the word science, Christian science, religious science, divine science. And in case you didn't know it, unity tried to use the name Christian science, but quickly got their hands slapped by the current Christian science that's been around for a long, long time. And what I find interesting is they all include science in their name. And why? Well, the, this is what happened. As the people formulating new thought looked at the world around them, they questioned the unquestioned answer around God and God's power, and God being a being or an entity. They questioned all of that. And they used some of the terminology from science. When we think about unity, we think of principles and laws, a direct grab at what science was teaching. And in fact, these questions and laws that unity brought forth are questions, are, 
principles and laws about consciousness, about how your consciousness and my consciousness works. And when we can learn what those principles are, when we can learn what those laws are, we can then use them consciously. Because up until the point that we're aware of them, we can't use them consciously, but we are definitely using them unconsciously. And so Charles Fillmore said this in Adam Smashing Power of Mind. Science rightly understood is of inestimable valuable value to religion. And in fact, in some of Charles Fillmore's unpublished talks, he references the men who were going to become the quantum physicists of that day. He went on to say, we are receiving new truths in all fields. And if we are to use it, it seems most important that our religion be progressive and that we get new and higher concepts and that we see deeper and more scientific relations in the lessons and experiences of those who have preceded us in study and demonstration of spiritual truth. So Charles Fillmore is saying here that yes, we had people that preceded us in religion, in spiritual truth. However, if we look at science, we can get clues about spiritual truth. And we continue to get clues about spiritual truth so that our religion, our spirituality is a living, growing thing rather than something static and fixed and dogmatic. So Myrtle and Charles, here are some of the answers that they questioned. And maybe these are some of the reasons that you, like me, found unity. They questioned God as a male being or entity. They questioned the definition and location of heaven. They questioned whether hell existed or not. And they questioned Jesus as the only child of God. And really going to the heart of Christianity, they questioned whether Jesus as savior was the only savior. And of course, they questioned original sin. Myrtle Fillmore in her book, How to Let God Help You. This is actually the beginning paragraph of chapter four. We are studying spiritual science to get a broader conception of God rather than holding to the view that he he, notice that she used that term, he is a personal being with parts like man, a being subject to change and capable of varying moods. God is it, neither male nor female, but principle. A synonym for God is principle. And Myrtle, bless her heart, both she and Charles never questioned the use of the terms he and him toward God. I believe if they had used this pronoun it, we might have awoken sooner. 
So questions. Unquestioned answer. Fear is the opposite of love. Have you ever thought about that? That's something that someone taught me. I read it somewhere and I took it to be gospel. However, what if that isn't true? What if fear is not the opposite of love? Well, we know scientifically that fear arises with the threat of harm, physical or emotional, or even psychological, real or imagined. A lot of things that we are afraid of are imagined. And I would say that is not the best use of the power of imagination. So fear is related to our amygdala. There's not one, there's two. And it is uh, philosophically asking or metaphorically asking, am I safe, do I matter? Am I safe, do or matter? Or do I matter? If the response is, I'm not safe, I'm not matter, then the hormones are released that support fight, flight, freeze, or please, and of course, fear. However, let's look at that deeper. What if fear is evidence of love's presence? When I don't feel safe, When I don't feel safe, who am I loving? Myself. When I think I don't matter, why I'm afraid, well, it, it's because if I don't matter, I feel I have no significance. So I suggest to you that whenever fear arises, it's because you're threatened, someone you love threatened, whether it's a friend or relative or something you own is threatened. These are all things you love. You wouldn't be afraid if they weren't threatened. So for me, fear is evidence of love's presence. So how's that useful? When I feel that response, that bodily response of fear arising in me, I stop and ask myself, what is it that I love that is being threatened? And that lets me experience the fear through a different and more useful lens. So here's some unquestioned answers that I wonder about. It seems like religion from the very beginning of time, back before the Egyptians, was all about how do we escape being human? The goal is to leave the body and never come back or come back again and again until we get it right. And then we never come back. Have you ever noticed that embedded in those concepts are essentially the idea that being human is bad or wrong. It also implies that, that being here is bad or wrong. Well, Charles Fillmore talked about degeneration, regeneration, reincarnation. 
So Charles and Myrtle never escape this idea that that we want to lead, we want to let go of being human beings. Degeneration is about a fall in consciousness. That's bad. Regeneration is about regenerating our consciousness to be back the way we were before we fell in consciousness. And reincarnation is the way to find our way back. So while Unity talks about original sinlessness, it's still talking about being human somehow is wrong or bad. In the revealing word, Charles wrote, the I am, I, I think you've heard this term before, the I am is the metaphysical name of the spiritual self as distinguished from the human self. In Talks on Truth, he said, the I am is always the same. So we have a spiritual self and we have a human self. I don't believe one of those is bad. So our sinlessness refers to our divinity, not our humanity. As human beings, sure, we are able to error. And if we error, we can use those errors to wake up a little bit more. But in our divinity, it never changes. In our divinity, we are identical. In our humanity, we are wondrously unique. And isn't that a glorious thing? And so, yes, we have degeneration, regeneration, and reincarnation, but those are all about, in very subtle ways, denying the body and denying our humanity. Charles Fillmore in Talks on Truth said, we are by birth a spiritual race, and we should never have known matter or material conditions if we had followed the leadings of our higher self. So, so once again, this is a quote that reinforces the idea that the fallen consciousness or our being here as on this planet as human beings is somehow wrong, is somehow erroneous. I think it's time to question those ideas. What if we got it wrong and the goal is not to escape human existence. The goal is to live life fully. Reincarnation is not as it's commonly understood. And consciousness is growing, expanding and evolving. I submit this to you with the concept that being human is a wonderful thing. Living life fully is a wonderful thing. And what if reincarnation is not about a way to escape being human? It's a way to be here again and be fully human and fully divine. What if we got it wrong? I hope you'll think about that. And thank you for listening. Thank you. 
And as you think about that, let us do our time, let us share a time of meditation. And once again, just get yourself comfortable. And as you close your eyes, ask yourself, what if I got it wrong? I wonder what I've misunderstood. And say to yourself, I am fully human and fully divine. My humanity is important. My humanity is wonderful. And I choose to be a human and live life fully. I am grateful I am fully divine. My divinity is made up of these principles and laws. And these principles and laws are what I've been using to manifest my life. As I learn these principles and laws, I learn how to use them in concrete and measurable ways to be an amazing human being, beholding the divine and the humanity of every person I meet. I embrace my humanity with open loving arms. I am seeking to be present, to be fully human, and to love others as I love myself. Repeat after me. I am fully divine. I am fully human. Now let's say that together with more energy. I am fully divine. I am fully human. Now let's engage our power of dominion. Let's say these two phrases again with authority. I am fully divine. I am fully human. And now let's say it zealously so that the building vibrates with the power of your word together. I am fully divine and fully human. And friends, that is the truth I've come to know. And so it is. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.